This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, this is The Property Show. And this week, we are speaking to Sulaiman Ahmadi Sahe, Director of Research and Strategic Planning at Rahim & Co International. The Malaysian property market overall has displayed some resilience throughout 2023 amid the economic challenges marked by geopolitical tensions, rising costs of living, among others. The latest figures from the Real Estate and Housing Developers Association Malaysia showed that the overall broad property market, which includes all sub-segments of real estate, saw more than 100,000 transactions worth over 57 billion ringgit in the third quarter of 2023. And this represents a 3.7% rise in volume and a 23% rise in ringgit value compared to the same quarter a year ago. So is the recovery expected to continue into this year with the existing headwinds expected to persist into the new year? What can we expect for the property market moving forward? Welcome to the show, Sulaiman. Welcome back, actually, and a happy new year to you. Thank you very much. Uh, yes, happy new year to you too. Very nice to be here. Great to have you in person this time. <laughs> uh, Sulaiman, before we head into the new year, what are your thoughts on 2023 as an overall overview to start the conversation? I think 2023 was comparatively a very good year. Um, we actually had, uh, after coming up from the pandemic, I guess a lot of people are still referring to the pandemic that we actually had a few years ago. Mm-hmm. So having that as a reference point, things are much better. The question then would be how sustainable about the growth trajectory in any sector, actually, whether it's just a rebound or is it going to be sustainable? And everybody just want to go back to how it was before. Uh, there's a lot of plans that was actually being forced to be put aside for a while. So yeah, things things are things are quite okay in 2023, generally. I, I'm also curious, uh, because we closed off uh, 2023 with one of the most anticipated malls to open in the Klang Valley, the TRX Exchange, yes, right? Yes. Um, it was packed to the brim until, until today. Brands that are seen there, I mean, really, never in my wildest dreams would I imagine Malaysians uh, forking out 35 ringgit for two scoops of premium European ice cream, but, you know, it is happening. Yeah. Um, can... Can we say we can expect the, the commercial segments of Malaysia's property market uh, to be seeing a resurgence of some sort or is this just a flash in the pan? It has, actually. Uh, if you look into the property market generally, mm-hmm. um, in terms of number of transactions, 2022 was really, gr- really good. It rebounded well from 2021. Uh, and then come 2023, because of the high base effect in 2022, it normalized a little bit. Uh, it normalized. It still grew uh, a mixed performance d- b- between sectors and different regions in the states uh, and across the states in Malaysia, but it still grew. But the one thing that was actually growing far better than other sectors is the commercial sector. Right. It's, it's actually even better than the residential sector. But because the residential sector essentially is forming like two-thirds of the market, so whatever moves in the residential sector would actually set the tone for the whole market. But looking at the commercial transactions for shop houses, uh, commercial properties, it has actually grown uh, more than 20%. Okay. It was actually one of the most marked increase in transactions as well as value of properties. I, I remember during the pandemic uh, era, everyone was talking about how everyone should put their money into the industrial segment because, you know, yeah. uh, you've yeah. got, you've got, uh, you, you need 
people with logistics. You, you need logistics spaces for for uh, online shopping and all that. Has that sort of died out? And what's happened to them? It is still in the mindset of many investors. Uh, industrial properties would be a key enabler for you to manufacture the produce, the mm-hmm. products, as well as using it for your logistics needs. And we see, yes, because of the emergence of e-commerce and uh, stay-home shopping facilities that you actually enjoyed in the past in the past few years, there's a lot of demand for logistics facilities. Okay. But on top of that, logistics facilities essentially is just storage a, space. a storage space. You still need to actually manufacture the products or actually do it, uh, uh, create the supply chain, uh, re-establish the supply chain. So industrial sector will still continue on. Only thing is, it may not be as uh, as prolific or as as uh, as hot compared to the normal uh, times of uh, in, in the past two years. But we can still see it is still a hot sector for niche industrial properties. Mm-hmm. It has actually gone down. It has actually matured. If I were to say, the industrial sector has actually started beginning to mature, in sense that you can't do a normal. Uh, traditional terrace terrace industrial lots or semi-detached or just the standard ones without providing the whole ecosystem for an industrial park. So it's not something that we should dismiss going forward. It it is still seeing that uh, demand still there. Yes, demand is still there. Although it, I have to say that uh, the the number of transactions did actually decline a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2023 for the first nine months compared to 2022. But uh, the momentum is still there. So, Laiman, just now you were mentioning that uh, residential properties make up about two-thirds of, of the of the uh, real mm. estate market in, in, in this country. Mm. Um, I was also kind of thinking, you know, affordable housing issues remain a perennial concern here. Uh, what what did you see in terms of, of this being addressed in the midst of all this rising cost of living concerns by the government in the past uh, one year? Okay. Uh, residential market actually forms about 60%, close to two-thirds. Two yeah. Yeah. When we actually had the spiraling house prices phenomenon um, in 2015, 2018, that era, the number of launches that came into the market started to decline for the higher segment, the right. higher price segment. More and more units are actually being pr- uh, produced or basically developed for the affordable segment, the 300,000, the 400,000 and the likes. Um, and that actually helped a little bit in terms of mitigating the, the problems of making houses more affordable and whatnot which actually showed a, be- uh, a better absorption uh, okay. in terms of sales performance. But as the market goes along, <laughs> I guess we are, we are now going back up, inching slowly as an early upswing, if you like, uh, mm-hmm. or basically the, we are coming back up slowly, gradually. We can see the number of those segments have actually started to decline, going back to how it was pre-pandemic, eh? going back to pre-pandemic. These segments will still continue on to actually be the bread and butter to most developers. Only thing is, because of the cost factor, it is going to it has become a cost push factor for the pricing strategy for developers. Right. As well as the uh, in the earlier years, it is the ease of getting credit. So now, because of these two factors are coming into uh, into much more equilibrium, uh, uh, yeah, equilibrium as well as the, the relationship is more complex. 
because the government has also started to be more cautious in terms of loan approvals, making sure mm. that the MPLs are staying are kept to below two percent. So this this mix of uh, products in, in the market right now, developers are being more creative, making it smaller. Yes, they had to make it smaller because the construction cost is so high, but packing it into more lifestyle product, sufficing the needs of the buyers. As in developing townships rather than uh, houses in particular, uh, is that what you're talking about? Uh, they're developing a community, if you like. Right. Uh, because if you, if you look into the smaller units, uh, for example, as, as an apartment or condominium unit, um, in the past, at one time, I thought that uh, the market was going far too fast and too much for the smaller units, what we call uh, micro-homes, uh, smaller units. So we thought that uh, the market would then suddenly realise that the houses are just too small or the apartments mm-hmm. are just too small. But knowing how the cost of living is, affordability levels are, they have come to terms in terms of, okay, this is what they, they can actually afford. But making it better for them to actually accept those products, this integrated development comes into play where you can actually have, yes, you can, you do have your unit there. Mm. It's a decent size, but if you will need any other things, you can still have other spaces to rent or or rather than having a party at your place or basically you want to have a gathering of your friends, you can just go down to the mall downstairs, have a, a function in, in one of the restaurants and whatnot. So, so people are making use of that wholesome facility within a development. That's the trend. I guess this is also... Um being in tune with the concept of people preferring to rent rather than own their own home properties, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, how does this work with this issue that we've always been discussing, the uh, overhang and oversupply yeah. issues in, yeah. in Malaysia? Yeah. How, how does this resolve it? Um, one thing, one good thing is the number of overhang properties uh, in Malaysia have actually decline, uh, decline consistently for the past few quarters. And the reason for that is because the number of launches in the past couple of years have been really slow because of the pandemic. That allows that time, lagging time for the market to catch up in terms of absorbing those units that are already completed. And the developers themselves are focusing on... uh, Inventory monetization. Basically, okay. they want to. They have a lot of inventories in the past, and they have been focusing on selling these units, and that's why the the overhang number has actually gone down, which is a good thing. But the the worrying thing about, about overhang is it may seem to be better. Yeah. Better does not mean necessarily does not mean great yet. Okay. Yeah? It is improving, but still the number is actually. Quite high, eh? although although the number have actually declined to below fifty thousand. I'm talking about fifty thousand in terms of dwelling units, residential plus service apartments and so on. All the type of units, be it residential zone or a commercial zone, used as a place of residence. The number have now dipped down to below fifty thousand, which is only well, only recently we actually achieved that again. Mm. But we just fear that it will go back up again if we do not remember and we do not learn from what had happened before. Because on top of these overhang units, which are completed unsold units, yeah. there's also the unsold units that are currently under construction. Right. This is The Property Show and we are in the studio with Sulaiman Ahmadi Saheh, Director of Research and Strategic Planning at Rahim & Co. After the break, we will dive into the new year and take a look at what to anticipate for the sector. BFM 89.9. 
BFM 89.9, welcome back to The Property Show. In the studio with me this morning is Sulaiman Ahmadi Saheh, the Director of Research and Strategic Planning at Rahim Co. International. Now, Sulaiman, before we get into 2024, how do you think the budgets uh, that were tabled last year in 2023, there were mm. two, mm. the retabled one at the start of the year and the actual 2024 one in October. Mm. How do you think it might have shaped the real estate market here? I think uh, from the press coverage or the comments by multiple parties uh, after the budget was actually announced, everybody expected there are more things that could have been introduced. There wasn't, for, right? Yeah. There wasn't, there yeah. wasn't really. The, we commend the government's focus on the B40 segment, uh, the support that it gives through the scheme, Jaminan Credit, etc., etc. But the segment where the property market relies heavily would be on the mid-mass market. The mm. middle market. And that's the one that lacks a little bit. So we wanted to actually, we were hoping for things to be pushed forward because this is where the middle, the M40, if you like, uh, the, the, the kind of a middle income trap where they don't have enough support uh, financially, but neither do they actually have uh, enough dough in mm. terms of actually making their purchases and whatnot. So we were kind of hoping that the government will refocus back and giving those kind of goodies or incentives for developers or even for the, for the financing schemes that they especially for the first time home buyers one thing that struck me in 2024's budget was um, it wasn't anything specific for the property sector was the fact that uh, it could include that the confirmation of the MRT3 project the circle mm-hmm. line that mm-hmm. it is actually happening mm-hmm. um, this is something that might have a more of a trickle down effect on, on, on property prices especially around where the stations are going to be how did the previous projects spur property prices if they did indeed I think any uh, improvement to, to transportation um, and hence accessibility between two regions, whether your place of work to your place of uh, residence, would actually help the property market. Right. Increasing accessibility through the MRT system, for example, it has actually seen a lot of growth along those MRT lines for MRT 1 and MRT 2. For MRT 3, the circle line, mm-hmm. uh, this is mostly concentrated within the uh, with the city centre area, if you like, or just uh, uh, just the immediate fringe of the city centre, where the land banks may not be as abundant compared to the ones going further out, uh, MRT1 and MRT2. But there's still pockets of land, especially those that, I guess, ripe for redevelopment, uh, ripe for the redevelopment. Um, so these units, these uh, locations can actually be developed into another TOD, which is actually the transit-oriented development, which is actually one of the core USPs or yeah. unique selling propositions for those developments along the LRT, uh, MRT lines. Yeah, those TODs are, I, I don't know, to me, I think they're a brilliant uh, yes, brilliant idea. Yes. And it should be explored further and, and, and accelerated. Uh, the other one that I was curious about was that uh, the government wanted to implement a flat rate stamp duty of 4% on memorandum of transfers mm-hmm. for property purchased by foreign individuals and, and companies. I kind of find this a little bit counterintuitive. Like, it's as if... Uh, you know, uh, like a discouragement for, for foreigners to come and buy properties here. Uh, Ryan Co International, from your unique standpoint, do you see this impacting um, demand from foreign buyers? 
One thing that the budget did actually give a bit of a boost or enthusiasm in the market is the MM2H program to be revised. Right, yeah. Okay, which is actually a good call. Yeah, I do want to get into that. <laughs> Compared to how it was reintroduced uh, a few years ago uh, after it was actually being put on uh, suspension. The improvement for the MM2H program is actually important for us to actually um, get more foreign buyers. Right. And we want to make them feel welcome. Uh, we want to make them to feel welcome. Right now, foreign buyers market, although it did not actually, it doesn't form the market because there's only like about 5% or less mm. of the total transactions in Malaysia residential properties are actually bought by the foreigners. But still, these are actually important for the uh, growth of an area or the development's uh, image and aesthetics, as well as the uplifting the the state of the market within a locality. So making provisions that I guess counterintuitive in terms of making them feel, oh, I'm now paying a bit more than how it was before compared to how it was before. It may deter, uh, it may deter um, uh, foreign investors, especially right now putting into the regional context. We are no longer, we are not just looking at foreign investors for, for them to actually purchase properties in Malaysia. All our neighboring countries are also doing the same thing. Indonesia, Thailand, yeah. Singapore. So making our programs, um, incentivizing these uh, foreign buyers to actually buy the properties in Malaysia need to be done competitively compared to the rest of the region. So we need to actually make it a bit more Welcoming friendly, to yeah. Shilang, yeah, friendly to the investors. Well, I mean, we already have a weak ringgit that should already be an an attraction uh, yes. for foreigners to to come in. Um, are are you seeing uh, from Rahim and Co's point of view? Are you seeing uh, interest based on the fact that the ringgit is weak? Yes, actually, there are. There has been uh, inquiries. In terms of number of inquiries, it has, mm -hmm. it has actually increased. Uh, ringgit, the weakened ringgit makes uh, things more affordable to the foreign to foreign buyers, especially. But what the foreign buyers are actually looking at is also how things are on our shores. Right. So they do appreciate that we actually have very good uh, first world quality facilities and developments, but they want to have a wholesome feel of how uh, how do they do things on the softscape, uh, right. on, the, on, on, on the education facility for the children, etc., etc. So um, they are returning back in terms of the interest, slowly coming back in terms of making purchases. But yeah, we still have to get the momentum in. We, it's, it's a it's a journey. It's a long term play that we yeah. need to do. We can't just simply open it up for a while and after that we change our policies. We need to actually be consistent so that yeah, we, our country is going to be back uh, yeah, in the radar. You're right about that. I mean, the MM2H program. Uh, I know that it recently saw some relaxation, but it's uh, it's an effort to keep up to date with what is being re-evaluated. Even, even uh, the latest statement I saw from Tourism Minister Datu Sri Tiong King Singh, he himself said whatever that's been announced is still subject to certain approval. So there's a lot of uncertainty there. And then going on the theme of the weak ringgit, one thing that's quite intriguing for me is this, this plan, Johor Singapore Special Economic Zone. Mm -hmm. uh, they're set to sign an MOU sometime later this month. And this SEZ would be a great boost, especially with reports that Forest City is becoming a sort of a ghost town. How hopeful are you that, that things will improve in that part of the country? Forest City is kind of Malaysia. We do know 
Johor's positioning being close to Singapore, it has all the potential that you can actually imagine. It is actually a, a much cheaper and more cost-efficient alternative to people setting up in Singapore. But getting those investments to the country, um, when we the scale of developments that we do, it needs to be in touch with the market demand. Right. Uh, we we can't we can't go too far too fast because it would not grow uh, organically and, and sustainably. Uh, but what happened in Forest City, because it's a different business model altogether, we know that the developer have actually done the development in such a way where the target market was primarily Chinese uh, buyers from China, um, and it actually had to change its strategy for a while, and then came to the point where, where the pandemic actually reset everything. So uh, these uh, new programs for us to actually catalyze, recatalyze back, uh, the potential that is already there, it has been there uh, in Johor. Uh, I guess it is a, it is actually a, an important call. It is actually cr- cr- crucial for us actually to get this done properly. And in terms of uh, our focus uh, going to the future, must also include the softer part of things. Mm. It is no longer just about the hardware. It's also about the software. So um, uh, having facilities, having uh, good programs or whatnot is one thing. But where, where, how, do we, how do we actually nurture our own local market, our own local talents, as well, how, as, well as how do we actually attract right. foreign uh, skilled laborers and, and, and people who want to come over and, and settle down in Johor? Uh, I think the potential is there. And as, as you said earlier, because of our, we can ring it for the time being and things are so expensive in Singapore, it does create that great opportunity. Yeah. The one challenge that has always been in the minds of, of buyers within this market is how porous or how accessible is that travel from Singapore to Johor? The, the linkages between the two countries and how seamless can we create? We just hope with the RTS and whatnot, things will be better. So because once it is actually more porous, we can see a better flow of uh, people and hence better flow of capital. Hopefully, we can see a bit more clarity with regards to how this Johor Singapore SEZ is going to work and whether or not it's going to be, it's going to ease travel between the two countries, right? Yeah. Thank you so much for your insights, Sulaiman. Thank you for coming in. Thank you very much. Thank you, Vyavham. On the Property Show today, we were talking to Sulaiman Ahmadi Sahe, the Director of Research and Strategic Planning at Rahim Co International, giving us his thoughts on the property sector outlook for the year ahead. If you've missed any part of this conversation, you can download the podcast on the BFM app, which you can also find on the Apple App Store or Google Play. We are also on Spotify. I'm Keith Kam for BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.